Happy New Year to everyone. I think this is the first time, first opportunity I've had to say that to many of you. I'm not, I'm sure there's etiquette, isn't there, about how far into January you can go while it's still okay to say Happy New Year to everyone. I don't know what the etiquette is, but I think we're still early enough for me to say it, uh, for me to say it today. So Happy New Year, everyone. Um, and just as we, as we have entered into a new year and as we are entering, in, entering into a new year, I know that many people will have many different approaches to that in terms of uh, how they might consider the year ahead. Some people might make resolutions, have some goals or targets in mind, things that they're looking to achieve or things that they're looking to grow in over the year. Some of us might actually just be like, well, it's just another day. Let's just carry on as normal. Uh, for some of us, it might actually be a case of actually, particularly heading into this year, I don't even know what to, what to think or how to approach this coming, uh, this coming year. And so I'm well aware that for all of us, we, we're probably all approaching things in a different way with maybe different outlooks, different, uh, different perspectives on things. But what I want to do this morning is just share something that God has laid on my heart or more, more brought back to mind, something for all of us to consider as we head into this new year. I think something that he just wants to draw to, into focus to bring to our attention for us each to consider and think about uh, for this next year. And I say it's something that I've been reminded of um, because it was a tweet that I'd seen uh, last year. It was January the 5th of 2020. I don't know if you know of Phil Whittle, but Phil Whittle, he's a pastor in the Relational Mission Church in Stockholm. Uh, and he uh, had said that, he said he's pretty sure that he asks the church the same thing every January and a few things and, and a few times in between. And there were three questions that he asks his church every January and a few times in between. And I really felt God brought them back to my mind as questions for us to consider this morning and for us to be thinking about as we head into this new year. Uh, so really what I'm doing is just I'm passing on the questions uh, that he had asked. But as I say, I just felt God had, had brought them back and uh, brought them back into my, into my memory and into my thoughts. And so the plan for this morning really is we're going to look at these three questions. I'm going to put these three questions out there for us to consider. We're going to look at some verses, so we're going to root them in Scripture. Uh, depending on how we're doing, there might be a little bit of time just to, to share some thoughts and discuss together. So it's not just you listening to me. Actually, it'd be good to get some other thoughts on things. And then I want to finish our time by praying together, really rooting this time together in prayer, rooting these discussions and, and this time of uh, meditation and reflection, really rooting it in prayer. What I would love to do, if possible, we've got three kind of... Um, passages of scripture and rather than it just being me reading all of them I'd love to get some of you involved if we got three people that would volunteer to do some reading uh, for us if you can give us a wave that would be really helpful um, say otherwise it's just me right the rules can you have Matthew 22 please and from verse 34 to 40 uh, did anyone else wave at me uh, Linda um, can you do Matthew 7 and 7 to 12 and then have we got one more so I can do the last one if need to be. I just thought it'd be. Um, Barbara, did you wave at me? Yeah, Barbara, can you do Romans 7, verse 22? And then it'll be through to 8, verse 5. I'll remind you when we get there of, of where, where we're up to. Um, but let's just start then. Let's get, before we ask the questions, I just want to root, as I want to root this in some scripture just for us to, um, to be considering. So, uh, Carrie, when you're ready, can you read Matthew 22? 34 to 40 for us please hearing that jesus had silenced the sadducees the pharisees got together 
One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's wonderful. Thank you. So this is, these are the verses where we're basing ourselves in. Okay, so this is a conversation that Jesus had, a question that was posed to him. And it's from this that our three questions are going to come out. These three questions that Phil Whittle asks his church every year. And the first question that I want each of us to consider is at the outset of this year, will you love God with all of your heart, all of your soul and all of your mind? Okay, so the first question for us to consider, will you love God with all of your heart and soul and mind? You see, when Jesus gave his answer to this question, when the question came, what is the greatest of the commandments? Jesus' answer is this, is that the most important thing that you can do, the most important thing that you can give yourself to, the most important thing that you can give your life to is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and we don't want to get distracted by what those three separate areas might mean. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is this, is the most important thing you can do is to love God with every part of who you are. Everything that makes you, you, you need to love God with everything that you are. And then this command, combined with the second, we'll come to that in a, in a minute when we come and consider the next question. Jesus says that actually this is so important, and the reason why it's so important is because this command and the second command combined, on those two things hang all of the law and the prophets. So essentially all of the Old Testament hangs on these two commands. Or another way for us to think about it is this, is that love defines the life, or love should define the life that God has called us to. Okay, so if we look at the Old Testament, if we look at the law, we look at the prophets, we see that this is the way that God has called people to live. This is the right way. To live and he's saying actually love for God love for others it is love that is to define the life that God has called us to that is why Jesus said this is the greatest commandment and the second one is like it all of us have longings all of us have longings for joy and hope and love and security and fulfillment and significance and these are good things these are God-given longings that he has placed within us. But the problem is, and actually what we see is that much of the Bible shows us what happens when these longings are, are, are focused on things or on people other than God. Whether that's other people or idols or powers or rulers, wherever it might be, we see throughout scripture, don't we, what happens when people's hearts, their love and affection are actually focused on other things other than God. And it's God who is actually meant to be the true focus of those longings. It's in him that we're meant to find those longings absolutely fulfilled and absolutely satisfied. So what Jesus is saying is that we have all these longings, but to love God with everything that we have means that we take all of that and we focus it on God until he satisfies your heart and your soul and your mind it's what it means to love god with everything you have take all of those longings for joy and hope and love and security fulfillment 
and significance and we 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 bring it all to god and we uh we focus it all on god until he satisfies us in only the way that he can but the reality is i'm sure all of us can relate to this is that sometimes our love and our affection can drift can't it the focus of of our affection and the focus of our love can drift onto other things or onto other people where we try and find that fulfillment of those longings in someone or in something else but jesus call is this is that actually we're to love god the greatest thing that you can do with your life is to love god with everything that you are 1 john 4 verse 19 says that we love because he first loved us the only reason that we can talk about loving whether we're talking about focusing our love on God or focusing our love on other people, which we'll look at in a minute. The only way that we can do that, the only reason we're able to talk about it is because it's a response to what God has done for us. It's his love for us uh, that we respond to. It's his love shown for us uh, through the sacrifice of Jesus, in Jesus laying down his life in order we would have relationship with him and so again jesus is saying the most important thing that you can do is to love god with all your heart all your mind all your soul with every part of you and what we will then find is that everything else flows from this this has to be of primary significance and of primary importance this has to be the greatest thing that we can give ourselves to because everything else flows from this which leads me on to the second question which is this is will you love your neighbor as yourself will you love your neighbor as yourself as we head into this year i've had conversations with eva that go something along the lines of if she's talking about who she loves the most she said to me before she said that she said daddy she said i love god more than i love you and more than i love mommy and i say to her i say good that's exactly how it should be you need to love God first. You need to love God more. And I say to her, do you know what? I love God more than I love anyone else's love. And it doesn't mean that I, that I love you less than I can, but actually loving God first means that I can love you better. And actually, if you love God first, that it means that you will be able to love other people better. It's not a diminishing of the love that we have for others. Actually, in loving God first means that we can love other people better. Or we can put it this way. If we love God most, we will love others best. If we love God most, we will love others best. Remember what we were saying, everything else flows out of that command to love God with everything that we have. And if we're loving God the most, then that will work its way out in the way that we love other people and the affection we have for other people. Um, Linda, could you read to us from Matthew, Matthew 7, 7 to 12? So this is our second passage of scripture that we're going to consider. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Thank you. So we've got here, this is really similar, isn't it, to what we'd read in, in a little later, in Matthew 22. 
where Jesus is saying that the greatest commandment is to love God with everything you have. The second is like it to love others as yourself. But earlier on in his ministry, he says that whatever you wish that, that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So we've got this real similarity between these two passages of scripture. But I, I asked Linda to read those other verses beforehand, and you might be thinking, well, why is that? Why, why did we read those first? Maybe we could have just read about uh, whatever you wish that others would do, do also unto them. But actually, we have to recognize the context into which Jesus was saying. Because when he says that, it actually follows on immediately from what has come before. And what has come before is this focus on the relationship that we now have with God, how we can come with confidence to God as our father. And we can ask him for things, trusting that he will give us everything that we need, trusting that he will give us good gifts. And then verse 12 follows on either therefore or so. So it's flowing out of this relationship. It flows out of God's love for us and our relationship with him that enables us to live in this way that enables us to live in this way where we consider others and we think about others and we love others and we treat others the, the way that we would want them to treat and love and deal with us. You know, Jesus said, he said that the second commandment to love others, he said it, it's like the first. And what he meant by that is that if we truly have the first, if we truly have love for God with everything that we have, then the second commandment naturally follows from it. So if we're truly loving God, then what will, what will naturally express itself and overflow out of that is the way in which we love others and the way in which we treat others and the way in which we care for others. Jeff Vanderstelt, uh, I saw this on Twitter the other day. He says that one of the best indicators of the health of your relationship with God is your love for others. I'm just going to read that again. One of the best indicators of the health of your relationship with God is your love for others. As I heard that, and as I reflected on my own life, and I thought about my experience of that, you know what? I just thought that rings so true in my life. In times where maybe my affection for God is not quite where it has been, or if I'm a little more wayward in my relationship with him, I know that it, it, it affects the way that I view other people. It affects the way that I love other people. And actually, there is something here where our love for others, it really does reflect or indicates the health of your relationship with God. And this is not meant to be a condemning thing. Actually, it's a, a reminder to us. It's a call. Let's get back to our first love. Let's get back to that first commandment of loving God primarily. And then from that, our love for others will be, it can't help but be shaped and changed and impacted by it. You see, loving God is made visible in our visibly, practically, and sacrificially loving others. That is a way in which we can demonstrate our love for God, in the way in which we love other people. And we can demonstrate that to others. Remember, if we go back to those verses from 1 John, 1 John 4, verse 9, we love because he first loved us. Everything, in, in terms of the way that, that we love other people, comes as a response to the love that God has for us and the way in which God has loved us. I remember I've not spoken at, at many weddings, but I've spoken at a few, uh, at a couple. And I think on both those occasions, I said to the bride and the groom, I said, remember how God has treated you and then seek to love one another in the same way. Think about how God has been gracious to you. Think how God has been kind to you. Think how God has been patient to you. 
Think of all the ways in which God has extended love and grace and mercy to you and then seek to love your partner, seek to love your spouse in the same way. But the reality is, is that's true not just of, of marriage relationships. Actually, that's not just true of f- familial relationships. Actually, this is the way in which we are called to love our neighbour in the way that God has loved us. So the question then is, who is my neighbour? The Bible speaks a lot about the way in which we demonstrate love for our brothers and sisters and how that is so important, how we love the church, love brothers and sisters within the church is important. It's an indicator of who we belong to. It's an outworking of what God has done for us and a response to that. But it is much wider than that. If we'd looked at this story from the uh, from Luke's gospel, what we'd find is that another question comes after this. When one of the onlookers says, actually, so who then is my neighbor? Jesus then goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan as a as a picture or as an illustration of who it is that we're meant to love in this way, of who it is we're meant to love as we love ourselves. And the reality is this, is that, yes, we're called to love those that we love already in that way, but we're called to love those who are our friends and our enemies. We're called to love those who we connect with and relate to fairly easily, but we're called to love others who we don't, where it doesn't come so naturally or we don't have anything in common. We're called to love them in the same way. Those who we're naturally drawn to, those who we might naturally seek to distance ourselves from, we need to love them in the same way. That, that's, that's who our neighbour is, isn't it? It's not just about picking and choosing those who we feel are deserving or not. Actually, we've been called to love our neighbour as ourselves. And for all people, whatever we would wish that others would do to us, we are to do unto them. This is a challenging call. This is a really challenging call and it does not come naturally to us. And oftentimes there's stuff within us that will really kick against it and say, this just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. But actually, we're going to consider this in just a little bit more. I just want to ask you a question. What does it what does it look like for you to love your neighbor as yourself? What does it look like for you to love your neighbor as yourself? We're going to have a moment now. We just want to give some time to consider this because this command to love our neighbours as ourselves is not to remain abstract. It's not to remain something that we say, oh, we know we're called to love our neighbours as ourselves. Actually, it needs to be walked out and it needs to find an expression. It needs to be demonstrated. There needs to be a practical response to this call in the way in which we love others. So I just want to give you a moment, just a minute or two, just to think, what does it look like for you to love your neighbour as yourself maybe another way to help you think about it is this is what would you wish that others would do to you in terms of the way that they treat you maybe that might be a helpful place for us to to start so we'll just give a minute and then i just want to open it up very quickly just to see if we've got any answers uh, that come through in that but just consider that what does it look like for you to love your neighbor as yourself So we had some really helpful feedback uh, that, that came through after this time. I just want to share very quickly just a few of the thoughts. Um, we're not going to share all of it, but some of the thoughts that came through in terms of what it looks like to, to love your neighbour well. And one of the ideas that came through was about giving others the benefit of the doubt. It can be very easy to judge others and to draw, to draw conclusions uh, about them, but actually we need to be um, those that give others the benefit of the doubt in the same way that we would want others to do to us. Another thought that came through 
in terms of what it looks like to love our neighbours is that it comes out in, in practical ways. You know, we look to meet needs of others in the same way that we would seek our own needs to be met, where we realise there are things that we need. And, and often in, in very practical ways, we would look to, to meet needs in the others. Um, something that a lot of people, it, it seemed that a lot of people had been thinking on, a lot of people um, kind of agreed with, was also to recognise that people show and receive love in different ways. Uh, might not be the same way that we do. Um, and so we need to take the time to consider and think about how others may best receive love because it could be very different to the way that to the way that you do so um, and, and really understanding about how they feel about things taking time to listen uh, a lot of it was coming through you know where possible it's about relationship learning to understand others and 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 learning what makes them uh what is good for them really and how they receive love and then following on from that another thought was that people don't always feel the way that we think they are we can draw conclusions about how, what we think is going on in their lives and how they're feeling um, but actually again comes back to this need to listen in and to really take the time to understand what they are telling you so these were just a few of the thoughts that came out hope that that's helpful right there's loads loads more that I'm sure we could speak about and there's probably much more that has come to mind. This may well be something good to pick up in growth groups this week, just to come back to and to think about. Uh, but it's definitely something for all of us to think about. What does it look like for us to love our neighbours as ourselves? And so we've had two questions so far. I'm going to do the third one and then we'll, we'll draw this to a close. So question one that I'm asking, I'm not just asking you, I'm asking myself at the outset of this year. Question one is this, is will you love God with all of your heart and soul? Secondly, will you love your neighbour as yourself? And the third question is this, how can you do either without the Spirit's help? How can you do either without the Spirit's help? You see, if we look to, to, do, it, to do this kind of in and of ourselves, if we look inwards, looking to try and love God with everything we have uh, out of our own strength, trying to love our neighbour as ourself out of our own strength, we won't be able to love God or love others in the way that we are called to if we are solely looking to ourselves and trying to work it out of our own strength, try and work it out of our own understanding. And this is something that the Apostle Paul really, really understood. Barbara, are you able to read the passage from Romans, please? So this is what Paul wrote, uh, some of what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man or woman I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. God did by sending, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. 
And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirits. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirits have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Wonderful. Thank you, Barbara. So there's quite a lot there, but actually really, really insightful in what Paul is saying. You see, Paul recognised that within him was, uh, he says that he delights in the law of God, in his inner being. There's something within him that delights in, what, in the life that God has called him to, in the requirements that God has called him to. But at the same time, there's this delight for the law of God, but he recognises there's also a struggle going on within him because what he desires to do, he's not able to do that his flesh is desiring other ways of living than the way that God has called him to. And so he recognises there's this battle that goes on. He's like, I delight in the law of God, but I also recognise that, um, that there's something within me, there's something within my flesh that would, would draw me away from that and actually, rather than leading me into freedom, leads me into captivity. And the reality is this, is that Paul recognises for himself, is that he needed a saviour. And that's what, when we're talking about the law and the prophets and the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, what we see is that all of the Old Testament is pointing towards the same thing that Paul recognised, the need for a saviour, the need for one who would come and be able to do what we could not do for ourselves, one who would be able to fulfil and satisfy the law and the prophets in a way that we just are not able to do. Which is why Jesus came. So the Old, Te- the Old Testament pointed towards the need for a saviour, and it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Paul knew that. But Paul also says this. He says that we're, not, we're no longer people of the flesh. We are people of the spirit. We live by the spirit. It's the spirit who enables us to live in ways that are pleasing to God. Where even though I might desire that, I'm drawn away from that because of my flesh. But the spirit, I live by the spirit now. I don't live by the flesh. And actually the spirit enables me to live in ways that are pleasing to God. The spirit enables me to live this life that God has called us to. The spirit enables me to love God with everything I have and to love my neighbour as myself. I can't do it on my own. I'm not able. I'm too weak. And yet where I'm weak, God is strong because by his spirit, he enables me to do this. And he says, doesn't he, he speaks about the... the, um, the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves isn't something that we can do on our own we do it by the Holy Spirit really is what Paul is saying we're now people of the Spirit we walk by the Spirit and it's the Spirit who enables us to fulfill the law it's the Spirit who enables us to love God with everything we have and love our neighbor as ourselves the reality is is that still daily we 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 still fail don't we if if i can term it like that there are still moments where we actually i know i've not loved god with everything that i that i have i know i've not loved my neighbor in the right way here but there is grace for that there's forgiveness for that jesus has already conquered that and we've also been given the holy spirit to enable us to keep pursuing and keep pressing on in that call that jesus has called us to so i know i've I've probably tried to fit quite a lot in 
this morning and I'm sure there's lots for us to take away and to consider but the questions again the questions that I want to leave you with are this are the, at the outset of this year and you know what I probably will come back to it a few times in the in this year as well not just for myself but for you as well will you love God with all of your heart and soul will you love your neighbor as yourself and how can you do either without the spirit's help and Phil Whittle, who I mentioned, who, who asked these questions, he finished his tweet with this. He said, seek him first. Seek the spirit first. Ask him to help you in loving God. Ask him to help you in loving your neighbor. Don't think it depends on you. Come daily to the spirit and ask him to help because we won't be able to do it outside of 